This is womensleadershipsuccess.com radio. Did you know that Avon became one of the most successful companies in the world under the leadership of a woman? Andrea Jung, the former CEO of Avon, captured the imagination, hope, and dreams of women worldwide. She rose quickly with great skill and leadership, yet she missed an important signpost that eventually led to her downfall at Avon. Here's your chance to get an insider's intimate view of what went wrong and how you can avoid the same career mistakes too. And listen for a special offer at the end of the show on how to get free chapters of my new program, The Winning Career. Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life. No matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur, join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line. This is Women's Leadership Success Radio with Sabrina Brom. Today we're interviewing Deborah Hemsel, the author of The Beauty Queen, Inside the Reign of Avon's Andrea Jung. She has a very incredible background. From 1999 to 2005, she worked alongside Andrea Jung at Avon as Vice President of Global Organization Effectiveness. She was also a former Vice President at Deutsche Bank and has worked for many other companies as a consultant, including Johnson & Johnson, KPMG, ExxonMobil, uh, Citigroup, and Walmart. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here, Serena. Thank you. You know, I was so excited to read this book, and I love the cover, The Beauty Queen Inside the Reign of Avon's Andrea Jung. And I was actually found myself feeling somewhat disappointed because my whenever I'm so into women being successful and I thought, oh, good, another woman that's made it to the top and has done all these great things, and then to find out that she had feet of clay and it didn't go so well, it was, it, I had to do some adjusting. I know. It was, um, it was difficult for me. I left in 2005 and when I left, things were going great and I never dreamed that either Avon or Andrea would come crashing down. And um, I was disappointed because when, I was there, I saw her as such a role model, an extremely strong leader, and then it just seemed like it was kind of the convergence of a perfect storm. So I wanted to understand what we can learn from that about what makes great leaders great, and then even with great leaders, what can what can happen and what we can learn from it. Right. So I, I really I think that's important so we don't all – each of us have to make the same mistakes over again we, that we can learn from her mistakes. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, this is not to in any way put her down, but to hopefully she will understand we want to develop ourselves based on what she went through. Yes, and I should just say at the outset also that she is doing really well now. She is the head of Grameen, um for the Americas, which does microfinancing 
for women to really help to give them a shot. So I'm hoping also that she learned as well and is probably going to excel in her current job. So I'm hoping we can all feel good about learning and still surviving and have resiliency. Great. Can you can you give some background for those people that, that don't know her story? Tell us about who she is and mm-hmm. how she got to the top and, and kind of what happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, also, I hope everybody knows Avon, um, Ding Dong, Avon Calling, direct selling, uh, beauty products, uh, things for the home, not just in the United States, but about 80% of the business is really in overseas markets now. But... Andrea, um, had just, can you wait? Yeah, I, I just have to make a comment that as a teenager, I was an Avon lady. Oh, you were! <laughs> oh, great! So yeah, I went door to door selling Avon cosmetics to make money during high school. Yeah, oh, that's great, and it's um, it, it's a great, it's still great products. And when Andrea took over as CEO, which was in 1999, and it's hard to believe at that time there were only three other female CEOs. So it was like this big deal. Um, Dan Rather came into the the headquarters and did a whole piece on her for the CBS Evening News when he was still anchor, and it was just like the headlines all over. And she really, when she joined Avon, and she joined as a consultant, um, and when she joined, she really didn't have any kind of visions of being CEO. She just wanted to work for a company that was trying to do the right thing by women and women's empowerment, helping them like you did to earn money. And when she took over in 99, the brand was in trouble. It was research had said it was no longer really a viable brand. People looked at it as their grandmother's brand. And so and 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 also the morale was in the the dump and the stock price was down and so she came in and had just wonderful marketing prowess and very wonderful taste and wanted women to have high technology products but at an affordable price. So she came in, contemporized the brand, redid the products, and it was kind of taking off from there. But uh, she had come from a retail background and worked at Bloomingdale's, iMagnon, Neiman Marcus, and every job she went, she took on tough projects trying to appeal to a different and um, new market segment, contemporizing a brand wherever she went. So this was very similar in many respects to what she had done before, but just at a whole different level. And so how did she progress? Just a a quick thumbnail of she went from starting there, and how long did it take her to move up? Yeah, well, um, she started as a consultant in 93, and then actually came on board in 94 and was hired um, as the head of marketing for the U.S. And then between then and 98 had several different roles, uh, mostly still in the U.S. and all in marketing. And she just really got the attention of everybody. She 
was not shy in kind of getting out there and saying we need to be need to be front and center and uh was Avon was one of the co-sponsors uh, of the Olympics and had uh, a lot of advertising overhauls and really tried to uh, with her own kind of taste get better quality products, um, just get better quality marketing and and more uh, analytics within marketing. And so she progressed pretty quickly, really, from 94 to 98. And at the time when Jim Preston, the CEO at the time, announced his retirement, she actually found herself as one of the candidates uh, for CEO and really kind of took everybody by surprise and Again, she, I don't think, ever thought she would get it, but then everybody, especially board members, were really uh, giving her a lot of confidence, and then she didn't get it. And the board went in favor of someone who had more operations experience and had just been there and done that before, and she almost left the company. But one of her mentors said, really think about what it is that you're passionate about, and uh, this famous phrase that Andrea always talked about, follow your passion and not your compass. And so she stayed and was appointed COO. And then that CEO kind of flamed out in about a year's time. And then it was a no-brainer when the board said, um, we're anointing you. So it was, a pretty, it was a pretty fast track, but she took bold risks and really uh, took some challenging projects on that nobody really wanted to do and really made a difference. So what what were the what were the skills that really made her successful in that job? Um you mean CEO overall or, yeah. or when she when she came in? Uh, no, just overall. What do you think you know, before she had her falling out, what what was <laughs> what were the things that really helped her to succeed? Well, I think first and foremost, um, she was very strategic, still is, and truly a visionary leader who really saw what and had a vision for what the company could be and had a passion for that business, which was really around women's empowerment. And I think her passion was contagious, and she really mobilized people uh, towards that vision. Um, and the other thing, she was also um, just a very, very good marketer and really helped to really take the marketing function and, again, as I talked about, contemporize the brand, more analytics, and really helped on a, on a more uh, blend between the sort of traditional direct selling with uh, the more contemporary consumer product skills. So she really blended those. And the third thing, she was a very empowering leader. She brought in the best people. She trusted those around her and very inclusive about uh, how the organization would would, uh, run and and move forward. Great. So it it sounds like a perfect recipe for great success how did yes. he get blindsided? Yeah, well, one of the things that I really learned um, in my book, Beauty Queen, was that our greatest strengths can also become our biggest liabilities. And that strength around the strategic, the visionary leadership, she overused it. In the last half of her tenure, 
the organization was really fraught with operational challenges and getting the orders out the door in the right orders and supply chain issues, IT issues, and et cetera. And she was not focused on those issues but was still looking at marketing campaigns and and um, celebrating the anniversary of the company, which was really great, but she spent more time on that and needed to spend more time on the operations and the details. So that strength can become the liability. Um, secondly, also, the and this uh, again goes similarly with um, not focusing on the details, China was a huge market for Avon and was projected to be a billion dollars. And there was so much focus on what the market could be that lost sight of some of the things that were going on in the market, the need for more disciplined financial processes. And Avon got caught up in an investigation for bribery charges with uh, the SEC and and actually violating the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, um, which was settled uh, a few months ago in May, but it cost the company a lot of time, energy, and, and money. And so those were just two things um, that really just uh, blindsided her and, and took off took her off the track for success. So, uh, what what can women on boards or women leaders learn from what happened to her? You know, if you're up at the top like that, there's no way to keep track of everything. Yeah. And you yeah. said she was really good at at bringing in the best people. Weren't people telling her? This is going to be a problem, Andrea. What? Where was the disconnect here? Yeah, well, a couple of things. At the first part of her tenure, when, when and this is when I was there, so I got to observe it firsthand. She had a COO, Susan Croft, who was like her exact opposite. It was the yin and yang. So Andrea would have three great ideas, and Susan would say, okay, we only have $2 million, pick your best one and let's go. So it was really the exact opposite, and Susan was in the details. And when Susan retired, um, Andrea didn't really have anyone that really was that compliment for her. So one of the key learnings, and I think what women leaders and boards can really walk away with is, Know what your tilt is and either shore up your non-tilt or find someone who's the, who has the complement of it. And the second thing is that Andrea, I believe, was the right leader for what the company needed at that time when she came in and really needed a vision and a strategy and, and better products. But at, as time went on, it needed a different type of leader. And I think sometimes with boards, when things are going well, you think, oh, we've got the right person in. So for boards, one of the things that I would really recommend is ongoing assessment of, do we have the right leader for what the organization's needs are? And for individuals to say, "What am I the right leader for what's needed? And if not... How do I need to do some things differently myself, or do I need to bring in some other people who can help me? Uh, that seems good, and I think in terms of um, as you're developing your career, knowing your tilt or what yeah. your strengths are and what areas you have gaps in, that's a really important thing. 
Yes, and one of the things I've also found, and, and I've been doing a lot of speaking to women's groups um, around the country, and sometimes women are not given as in-depth feedback on just what you said, knowing what you're really good at and where your gaps are as they would like. So I say we need to be giving women more in-depth feedback, helping them understand early on what are some of the assignments that they may need to take that are more cross-functional in nature that could help shore up some of these gaps. And also for women, if you're not getting the feedback you need, keep digging. <laughs> keep digging and asking and, and make sure that you're getting what you want. So I think I think that really is a good point. And actually, um, I had a, a couple of coaching sessions today that were along that same line where mm. people aren't, people, men and women, are not getting the depth of information they need to know about what people are seeing they need to do or mm-hmm. even that they're doing well. Yeah, and sometimes it's human nature that if, if as managers and leaders we see that maybe somebody could be doing something different, we say, oh, my gosh, I'm not sure I want to give them that feedback. They may not think as highly of me or they may just shut shut down and not start working or, or stop working and so sometimes people are hesitant to give the feedback and sometimes people are hesitant to really go after it for for fear of either rejection or for fear that they may hear something that they really don't want but i mean the cliche that feedback is a gift is really it and one of the things that um that Andrea Jung was really good at was asking for feedback and she'd come into my office and she'd say, well, tell me, is the pace of change, is it the right pace? Do we need to be going faster or slower? And she was really good about that. And part of what happened in the second half of her tenure was either she wasn't asking for the feedback or people were really fearful to give it to her for whatever for for whatever reason so knowing how you're doing really reaching down to different people to get feedback is just important for running the business and for your own career uh-huh i just read a a survey that said that something like 61% of executives massage the data before <laughs> they give it to the ceo so that oh, they oh my gosh yeah yeah so it doesn't look bad so no. So what are the other lessons that women need to take away from this? Um, One of the big takeaways, um, I think, for probably women but also for men and that I really talk about in my book, Beauty Queen, is that I hypothesize that one of the reasons why um, Andrea fell from grace was that she really only had been in marketing and that was her her functional expertise and so she never really had roles outside of the U.S. or assignments um, in in operations and really things that could really round her out and so one of the, the big takeaways is for women especially to raise your hand early, 
for those cross-functional assignments or those assignments that are different than your than your functional expertise because a, a lot of my experience is that women tend to gravitate into marketing roles, human resources, um and and things that they excel in, but in order to get into general management roles, you need to have had uh experience with a P&L, and it's really best to have more well-rounded experience. I think that Mary Barra at General Motors, um, Ginny Rometty at IBM, if you look at their experiences, they've had multiple experience across different disciplines. Mm -hmm. So you get an idea of how all the pieces fit together. You have relationships in those other functional areas, people that you can draw upon, uh, to uh, again uh, help you run the business. So raise your hand, take them early. Um, the second thing is mentors are still needed. They're alive and well. Andrea had many of them. She was very deliberate about which mentors could really help her fill those gaps. And you need a mentor, and you need or mentors, and you need sponsors. Sponsors are the ones that are going to make it happen and advocate for you and. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but a lot of the women that I coach now, um, they have mentors, but they're light on sponsors. Right. And that that uh, uh, takes me to another question, which is, can you tell us what second-order gender bias is and how that relates to women not having sponsors? Yeah, and one of the things that, that I found in the research for the book and then in, in all my discussions in pre in the last couple of months in women's group um, is that we've organizations have done a great job at really overcoming some of the overt biases and discrimination and some of those things that I encountered when I entered the workforce in the in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And so what we're finding though is is what um, the psychologists have really called the second order gender bias, which really refers to the more subtle prejudices that are emerging from organization structures, practices, patterns of interaction. For example, I was coaching a male um, a few months ago um, who had about half women and half men on his team, and he was really a good guy, and he was trying to do the right thing and and, um, really solid. But when I started asking him just a thumbnail sketch of all his people, he could talk in depth about all the men and where their strengths and shortcomings were. When it got to the women, he was really light on that. And once we started peeling away the onion, it became clear that he had spent much more time with the men than he had with the women. And he he, he took the men out to dinner, after sports activity for a drink, and after a couple of drinks, they got into the feedback. And and so a subtle bias can be just spending more time with you know one you know one gender over the other. Um, the other thing, I, I want to yeah, stop sorry. you right there because I, I think that's so true. And at the same time, what I hear men saying is, well, I don't want uh, to be seen as uh, having some kind of sexual innuendos yep. towards the woman, or I don't want my wife to think <laughs> that I'm taking this woman out to dinner or for a drink for something besides work. So yeah. how do how do you do, deal with that balance? 
Yeah, that that's so true. And this this um this gentleman I was coaching, he said the exact same thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And so part of what we talked about too is just being more transparent with this. So being transparent with who the 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 people are that you're mentoring, being transparent with who you're you're sponsoring and and just uh, talking about that instead of having it behind closed doors just being more open about it and that seemed to be helpful when he tried that the other thing was i said you know quit doing the um the at the bar coaching and feedback and i said do it both equally at a more appropriate place <laughs> or, you know, or instead of doing it over drinks at the bar, do it at lunch or something. So kind of treat both equally. And that seemed to be helpful as well. So, but it's hard. And I, I think some of these things, there's, it's just a balance. There's no right answer, but just raising the level of awareness with him was just really helpful. Beautiful. And it, it makes so much sense to make it more transparent what you're doing. Then you don't have to be so concerned about what people are thinking, even Ex- the person that you're uh, sponsoring. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And just one other thing, too, um, and probably a, a lot of your listeners have heard of the double bind in terms of that, the tough, soft, and if, if a woman sometimes is too soft, she gets labeled a bitch and I'm sorry, if she's too hard, she gets labeled the bitch, and if she's too soft, it's like the marshmallow. Right. And, you know, I'm finding that just talking about what's what are the norms around behavior in the workplace and what makes each gender successful and how do you know where you've crossed the line on that has been very helpful. And some organizations are really doing that. Um, with both genders and talking about what's different. And, again, sometimes just raising the level of awareness and creating that dialogue, and just it just moves things further along. That's a, that's beautiful, and, and that's wonderful that you're doing that in companies. That's so helpful. And it's, it's hard, though. I mean, it's like nobody wants to start venturing into it, but once you do, it's very healthy. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Does, can you say something about how women's roles are evolving? as leaders? Well, one of the things that I found in, when I entered the workforce, um, and then again I feel old, it was like in the in the 80s, but um, it seems like either women were supposed to be the toughest nails taskmasters or the kind of sweet, glamorous lightweights. And there there seemed to be this style that women were supposed to emulate. And one of the things that I think is just great now that we have 5% of of female CEOs in Fortune 500 roles is that there's not one style. If you look at the leaders today, they're all very different. And one of the things that I really learned about Andrea and working with her is that she was really clear that she wanted to be authentic in who she was. She knew that she was beautiful and glamorous. She was also smart but she didn't want to ever lose though any of her compassion and what what she felt was who she was and so she had a, a style that was authentic to her um i think um hillary clinton has clearly i think staked out a style that works for her indra nuyi ceo at pepsico same thing marissa mayer she at uh, yahoo she she said 
I'm who I am. I love clothes. I'm going to be the uh, a model in Vogue so and still run Yahoo. So I think what's great is that women can really be authentic and really capitalize and leverage the style that they have and what really works for them. There's no one best style. That's great. Well, you've already said so many things about this, but do you have any other specific steps that you think would help a woman to um, advance her career? Um, Maybe if I just summarize it, it might be helpful. Um, I think being deliberate about the selection of your mentors. And one of the things that um, I learned in in research in my book, Beauty Queen, is that Andrea really said, here's some gaps I have. Early on, she knew she often came across as too soft and she needed to be more assertive. She said she looked at, um, at Bloomingdale's Barbara Bass and said, Barbara combines both of those really well. She asked Barbara to mentor her. She knew she had, Andrea knew she had gaps in operations. She was fortunate she was on GE's board. Jack Welch mentored her. But being deliberate about that. Um, secondly, and, and, and what I heard you say, which I really agree with, is you said mentor is not mentor. You know, mm. it's important to have multiple so that you yes. address different things that those people are good at. Yes, definitely. At any one time, Andrea probably had three mentors and a couple of coaches. And she used, she was very specific about how she used different people for different things. Yeah, and, and also, and it, I, I can't stress it enough um, to grab high visibility projects. I know um, Cheryl Sandberg talks about that, but women, the research shows, are sometimes more reluctant to raise their hand if they think they may not be quite ready for it. Men usually over-raise their hands when they're not ready for it. And so so raising your hand and um, just looking at the thorny problem that needs to be solved and, and how you can really learn and get people to know you. And as I mentioned, but again, it's so important, those cross-functional moves. And lastly, just know what the buzz is about you, what people are saying. Andrea got some feedback early on that she came across as aloof and a little standoffish, and she adjusted her behavior, started um, the Avon kiss when she saw somebody. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and she understood what the culture was and what she needed to do, but um, early on she understood what people were saying and what she needed to do. Beautiful. It's it's, um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time to share all of these wonderful uh, ideas with, with our people that are listening today. So thank you so much. Well, I hope it was helpful. Hope it was helpful. Very. Thank you. To get free sample chapters of my new program, The Winning Career Video Training, go to www.womensleadershipsuccess.com. Sign up on the form that appears on the screen after a moment. And thanks for listening. Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brahm, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email her at sabrina at sabrinabrahm.com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.